I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God is real too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day? And how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. So truth be told, this is our third attempt <laughs> because we have a very protect, protective uh, producer mm-hmm. who's also a, a sheepdog, who if he hears the slightest noise around our studio, gets very vocal about it. So He's just keeping the quality That's right. High. He's very protective of the quiet environment. And so anytime there's any noise, he just has to make more noise. So we are mostly a breakfast podcast. 99% of the time. Yes. But for this 1%, we are going to make an exception and it may happen again later in the season. Um, But we're going to become a dinner, dinner podcast. So just briefly, because we're going to look at this story in Luke 7, uh, where it's a record of one of the most awkward dinner parties. I think that it probably ever happened. I, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, so let's recount our own. Do you have any of your own awkward dinner parties before we get into this great big historic one? The one that comes to mind, it's not great big or historic, but it felt it felt historic to me. I was interviewing for this job and it was an afternoon interview that turned into a... Um, dinner afterwards that I wasn't anticipating. So I was pretty anxious when I was ordering and I I love chicken wings. So I ordered them kind of on autopilot, not really considering the (laughs) um, technical difficulties that might come. And I didn't even do boneless. I did bone in. And then all of a sudden I was getting asked like, I mean, what are, what are your biggest weaknesses <laughs> while I'm While you're licking the trying sauce to figure your fingers? Out, yeah, yeah, so it was my own faux pas, but it was um, challenge level 10 as far as uh, looking professional and polished. <laughs> and I love that at dinner. Well, because that's a big piece of it, right? I think the, the vulnerability of eating across from someone uh, is a part of why food factors into so many stories in scripture. And in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that your awkwardness was about the the chicken wing sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of a few different, like I can't think of one giant story, but I can think of a few weird ones. Perfect. Uh, like one, so this is just a part of working at a church, but sometimes you're you're invited to people's houses. And that's that, as we've talked about, is kind of a problem for me being a, a selective diner yeah and so this one time these people asked me over and they said they asked what I ate or didn't eat and I thought well that's complicated (laughs) if you listen to this podcast you know that's complicated but I think what I said to them was just anything but red meat okay which is not really accurate but it was just I felt like I was really it decreased the chances of them serving me something it helps set the tone yeah because you say that I feel like most people are going to offer chicken right? right which then I'm in my sweet spot Right. Because most forms of chicken I can handle. Right. I can see where this might be headed, though. (laughs) Yes. I get to their house and they have prepared steak. Oh. And only steak. And I'm like, wait. Did you you have a typo in your message? That's like the one thing. (laughs) (laughs) So 
<laughs> I was just, uh, and fortunately, like they were, their personalities were such that I deduced it was okay to say, Hey, <laughs> I don't know how you read that email, but, uh, that was the one thing I said. Did they say, well, we didn't cook it rare. It's like pink meat. <laughs> Medium. I think they just like busted. They, they were parents. And so they had like chicken tenders at the ready. Mm. So I ended up eating their kids chicken nuggets, I think is Perfect. how that went. Um, I also just briefly, I, I really can't remember a lot about it, but I do remember being a part of a wedding rehearsal where the, they purposely mixed everybody up. So that you weren't sitting with people that you knew. Uh-oh. Which I wholeheartedly believe in theory would be a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. But in practice, as an introvert, uh, it was maybe one of my worst nightmares come true. Oh, no. yeah. I imagine some beautiful stories probably came out of it. And yeah. then also some trauma. Yeah. I think most of us, too, like there's the awkwardness that is with strangers, right? Your job interview. Um. And my stories, but we also, there's like deeper, the deeper awkwardness of family, mm-hmm. of, of getting around the table with family and knowing there's some, there's things being said or unsaid, right? Um, this is a funny example, but I, there, there's one Thanksgiving where my sister and I realized that my dad didn't really understand quotation, like quote marks. No. <laughs> and so the whole meal, we just did finger quotes around everything. Uh-huh. And my dad was just like so upset. He was like, why are they doing that? And he he was, couldn't quite grasp the pattern because there was no pattern. No, because we were just putting it around everything. We were like, can, That's can you mean. pass the salt? And we finger quoted it. <laughs> it was, it was, it's that's one funny. of my most, I think that's the thing about awkwardness is like, it can either be like a nightmare of a memory or it can be so endearing. Mm-hmm. Right. But either way, it's going to you're going to remember it. Right. Right. Like those are the men. We don't remember the not awkward dinners. Like we could have a thousand of those. Right. That we don't remember. It's when something goes wrong or is off that it kind of lodges itself in our, in our memory. And so this story in Luke seven, I think it's, it's maybe so awkward that I think it's kind of lodged itself in the memory of the faithful community and of the church. Yeah. In a way that I I hope sticks, right? Because right. it's it's awkward for all the best uh, reasons. In this story, uh, a Pharisee has invited Jesus to dinner. And we know that his name is Simon. Um and again, I think sometimes with Pharisees, right, we have this picture of them as being hypocrites of of the things that Jesus says against against them. But they're also faithful people, like they're also people who are trying to do their best. And in this case, they're somebody who at least invites Jesus to dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the midst of their dinner, uh, a sinful woman walks in. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And the way we know she's a sinful woman is that her hair is down. <gasps> Scandal. Scandal. I don't know. In any of the worlds you've been a part of, does hair down, does that mean anything? I, my hair's in a ponytail right now. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're fine. Safe. Yeah. Uh, in, I think in, in their world, and I actually think this kind of goes back to like Victorian age too. Like there's, or I don't know, when is, when are movies, like movies where people are wearing corsets and stuff? What's the Victorian. era? Yeah, that works. Uh, I think that's, that's not just ancient world. 
there is this idea that women's hair is seductive mm-hmm. and that like letting it down. Yeah. I mean, you even hear to this day, you hear let your hair yeah, down. It's being a, a little bit of a, yeah, yeah. they're going to be a little risky. And in their world, it wasn't, it was even more of like a, uh, this is going to sound more crude than I want it to be, but like an open for business kind of sign. Mm. And so she comes in with her hair down. Um, Sometimes people just immediately assume she's a prostitute. We don't, she's not called that. She's just called a sinful yeah, woman. I remember here, I had that in, like gut reaction yeah. and it must just be from. And it, and maybe the hair assumptions. down is our symbol that she had, but that's also like a, I think we have to remember that this is in a world where mm-hmm. women don't have a lot of, it's very, they can't get a job at a restaurant right. or anything else. So here she is a woman probably maybe without any other resources, but her, her own body. Um, and so she walks in and anoints Jesus, basically, uh, spreads a perfume on his, on his feet and wipes, uh, his feet with her hair. And it becomes eventually this kind of contest between Simon, the Pharisee and this sinful woman, like a host off. Uh, cause Jesus ends up kind of talking them through what's polite. And says that Simon the Pharisee has not been a very good host. Uh, Jesus says, you didn't do the things you're supposed to do for a guest in your home, but she has done this extravagant thing for me. Um, so let's let's stop right here. Just do you have a sense of what either of these people would eat for breakfast just from what we know in the story? You have, here you have Simon the Pharisee, who we know he's not a good host. Um, we know that he... He says, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her do th- these things. So he's kind of a buttoned up guy. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. So for, for him, I kind of picture him Googling what, what is the, um, what am I supposed to eat for breakfast? <laughs> okay. What's going to get me through the day? Yeah. So whatever that might be like, like a I, need, I need a protein. I a need, single yeah, grapefruit. I, yeah. Half a grapefruit as Gilmore girls <laughs> <That's> right, <just laughs> would tell you. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. When they, when, uh, when Luke has that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought of him as like a dry toast, mm-hmm. the dry toast guy. But I, I like that he would have he would look up the best, the proper breakfast. Um, what about the what about the woman? And then I guess on that same vein, she would um, check the check the gut feeling like she seems yeah. like a woman who's going to follow what she feels is right. So she's going to say, I want waffles today and I'm going <laughs> to get waffles. I need to bless Jesus today and I'm going to do that. Yeah, I would hope that she would get to do that sometimes. I I got more practical in my answer, just thinking that she probably doesn't have a lot of means to breakfast. Right. Absolutely. So she might be uh, like, and I have been this kind of woman sometimes where it's just like, do I have a cereal bar at the bottom of my backpack? Because like, <laughs> that's what I'm going to have for breakfast. I, yes, you know? I know exactly what you mean. So maybe she's like, well, whatever she can find. She's, she's scrapping together a, a life. Um, so towards the end of this story, what I find my favorite thing about the story, and I, I love this. I think there's so much richness here. Uh, one is just that Jesus is available to both of these people in the story, but he also finds a way to speak to both of them. So here he looks at Simon, who is this calculating person, right? Who's going to look up how much grapefruit he should have. And he basically gives him an equation. Um, who has been forgiven the most? Who loves the most? Who's the he kind of asks him this uh, question. Um, he gives him kind of math mm-hmm. and says, who has shown me the most 
um, love. And he does it in the form of a parable like he so often does. So he gives them like a story problem that we maybe remember from math class, right? Like, let's say there's somebody with this debt and there's somebody with this debt who is going to be the most grateful. And so he, the Pharisee knows the answer. He knows the answer is the person who's been forgiven the most or who has the most debt. And so Jesus equates that to their life, right? And so he finds a way to speak to Simon in his language of this calculating forgiveness math. And in the equation, it's this woman who comes out being forgiven the most and also kind of showing the most generosity as a response to that. And so you get this kind of sum up uh, from Jesus. He says, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven uh, loves little. And so it ends up being this story of forgiveness math. And so there's a couple of things going on here. One that is we're going to get into probably later in this season is just the dinner party has metaphor for the kingdom of God. Uh, so we can kind of collect our best stories about dinner parties, knowing that they're going to teach us about the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing we see here is that both of these people are at the table with Jesus, right? They're both a part of the conversation. Jesus finds a way to speak to both of them. He, he doesn't seem like he's lost all hope in Simon the Pharisee. Like he's talking to him, hoping maybe he can get a new math. Yeah, that's out. why he's teaching and speaking yeah. his language. Yeah. And maybe hoping that this will teach Simon something. And, you know, and then he also kind of addresses the woman to say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because he, he speaks her language as well. So dinner party as metaphor for the kingdom of God is a big thing we're going to see throughout, the, especially the latter half of um, Luke. But I think of um, in recent uh, months, one of the things I've been doing just has a weird, a weird social practice. Uh, I've been asking people stories of when they were forgiven. If they can just remember a story when somebody forgave them of something. Yeah. And, and, and it's been kind of a beautiful thing because uh, people like have to think about it. And then when, as they do, their face kind of changes. And I, I think I know more sinful women than Pharisees <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least they're, they're in this moment, right? They connect to that, the, to her, the, the power of what it feels like to be forgiven. Yeah, and they can remember that. Um, and so I guess I'll just ask you, I'll keep my experiment going. Do you have a, do you have a story of being forgiven? I do. And it, um, I remember in, in the sixth grade, we were tasked with writing a, a memoir for the first time okay. about something that changed our lives. <laughs> mine, mine was remembering a time that my dad forgave me when I was probably nine years old. So it stuck out to me that much. Um, I think I, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I was, watching TV and there was a glare on it. And I had seen in the past that he had found a way to um, finesse a blanket over the TV to block it in such a way that the glare was gone. So I tried to do that myself and the whole thing, um, the whole TV knocked over glass everywhere, completely shattered. And I just remember my dad running into the room and immediately telling me everything's okay. Do not fret. Replaceable. You are okay. And that just really... (laughs) Yeah, that's a big deal. Made made a difference in how I perceive making mistakes and yeah, yeah. I mine is also a parental forgiveness. I I 
And it's funny how that, <laughs> I, first off, I really like that assignment. Like <laughs> what changed your life in the sixth grade? I know. I was so jealous of everybody who had something really tragic happen to them. <laughs> but that does change your life. I think uh, that's important uh -huh. that that was the thought, that was your thought of that. Um, because it's, it, again, thinking of things that like lodge in our memories, being forgiven is hard to forget. Uh, I, my story is, it's a silly story that I've told a lot of times, uh, but I was in a stupid car accident that was all my fault where I was at a stoplight and I thought the light turned green in my brain. It turned green, but it did not turn green in real life. And so I slammed on the gas and ran into the back of a dump oh, truck super hard. No. And I, it was just, I just crushed the car, my car didn't, didn't do very much damage to the dump truck. Um, but I drove my car home like it was kind of lopsided and I was kind of tilting oh, all the no. way. And this was at a time when I think I was paying for my car, but my parents were paying for my insurance. And it was just like that a time where I was trying to have financial independence, but I wasn't really. And I thought of everything I did as like affecting them. And so I was just imagining them being so upset at me for wrecking the car. Mm -hmm. And I walked in the house and like they saw, they heard the car coming because it was like, because oh. it was broke. so broken. Right. They saw the car coming. They heard the car like, and they saw it in the, in the driveway. And by the time I got in the house and expected my mom to like lose her mind on me, she just hugged me mm. and she was immediately just concerned about how I was and if I was okay. And of course the, just that like crushed me <laughs> like, uh -huh. so I was crying not because of the accident but because I couldn't believe how nice she was being to me about right. wrecking the oh, car that's huge um and and so I think there's just something to I think the reason I've been like asking that question is because I don't think we I don't think we hold on to that enough like that feeling uh, that we have, whether it's when we're kids or younger or stupid, <laughs> like that feeling we have when somebody forgives us is so um, important and it's such a grace. And I think we have to remember it so that we can offer it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we can offer it more often. It's so easy to be mad. <laughs> yeah. And to remember how good that, because I, yeah, we can play the other part. And, and do the math differently sometimes. Um, but also I think, it, I think I've been obsessed with the question because I'm also just trying to figure out like what it would feel like to accept forgiveness, like trying to remember how good that felt and how cleansing it was. And, and to how lean into it, it instead yeah. of rejecting it. Yeah. Cause so often um, we're bad at forgiving ourselves and we're bad at processing forgiveness on a, on a cosmic scale or on a social scale um, and maybe even on a relational scale. Um, so I think I've been asking that of myself and my friends just to help us remember that feeling and to like offer it more often to ourselves and to other people. Um, so this story, again, it's, it's one of my favorites one because Jesus is at the table with everybody and he makes them all feel welcome there. Um, but also just because I think, I think I grew up in a church where I think forgiveness was like this cosmic counting of sins and not intimate forgiveness sometimes. Um, and I think we have to remember what intimate forgiveness feels like more often. So um, maybe that's something for us to think about over our next breakfast is like, 
what would it be like to just forgive the day, forgive ourselves, um, and move forward. So that's the breakfast translation. And we'll see you next time when we'll talk about uh, some of our favorite Jesus stories. Rock and dust.